Shore podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 37, 2008, year in review. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining the show today from Neath in Wales is Gareth Williams. From Penshurst, Kent in the UK is Ben Home. Mike Covell is coming to us from Hull in the UK. And from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the proprietor of JTRForums.com, Howard Brown. Two thousand and eight has been a very productive year, I think, in research into the Whitechapel murders. And we've had a slew of books released. We had the Docklands exhibit going on in London uh, earlier in the summer, and we had several photographic finds, and we had the U.S. conference on Jack the Ripper held in Knoxville, Tennessee. And I, I'd like to ask, first off, uh, this being the holiday season, did any of you get any um, Ripper-related gifts for Christmas? Um, well, I bought Nina a, um, instead of a star for the Christmas tree, a little doll like Jack the Ripper and put it out of the tree. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, if it wasn't for Jack the Ripper, instead we would be together. Angel, instead of an angel... Uh, yeah, on, on top of the tree, it was a little guy. A true in a pagan, hat. true pagan style, brother. All right, <laughs> good. And anyone else get any books or anything like that recently? No, no. I got Chris Scott's book in the mail yesterday, The Ripper in Ramsgate. Have you read it yet, Howard? Uh, I read some of it. I, I read the part about Kuzminski, um, but I haven't. I haven't read the whole thing. I uh, was able to replace my copy of the A to Z. For Christmas, so that was my little Christmas <laughs> gift to myself. So now, Ben, I'll go ahead and throw it to you since you wanted to discuss some of the photographic finds of the year. One of the most notable, in my opinion, was Tim Reardon's photo of Tumblety. But um, before you go, Ben, I, I want to preface uh, the Tumblety photo with a little thing: is that I find it interesting that Tumblety as a suspect. Um, hides in plain sight historically he was the most talked about Jack the Ripper suspect in the American newspapers in the latter part of 1888 but yet it takes the little child letter in the mid 90s to bring him to light Tim Reardon discovered this tumblety photo by searching on WorldCat which is a service I use myself and he just happened to be the one to type in Tumblety and WorldCat to bring up the listing of the pamphlet in the New York Historical Society that said it had a photograph attached. And lo and behold, we get the Tumblety photograph. I think it's so nice to be able to kind of put faces to names. I mean, the Tumblety photograph was fascinating, and also the one of Joseph Lavender. I used to find this a lot with Titanic research. You'd, you'd research these passengers, loads of them, and uh, it would take some you know, indefatigable efforts to kind of find actual photographs of them. And very often, I mean, tucked away in places like the New York Public Library and the New York Historical Society, you know, you have these obscure images uh, that usually tell a quite a different story to the photograph you're familiar with. You know, for example, we're used to that one of Tumblety with his uh, enormous facial furniture. And, uh, and to see a younger Tumblety, I think, was, was fascinating. It was Adam Wood who discovered the Lavenda photograph. Back in February of 2008, yes. Gareth, what's your opinion on the Tumblety photograph? 
I just thought it was remarkable that, um, I mean, we, we're all used to seeing that sort of um, bushy-haired Colonel Sanders type photograph, aren't we? And, uh, you know, for, for once he was a totally different um, view of the man. Um, so, you know, for credit for having found it. Um, uh, likewise with <coughs> the uh, Burner Street photograph, the, 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 the Deputy's Yard one that Phil Hutchinson unearthed from that album. Um, you know, up until now, we'd only had a kind of a 20-degree view of that gateway. Uh, and finally, we've, we've got a, a, a perpendicular sort of panorama of the uh, of the area in which uh, Elizabeth Stride's body was found. Uh, and all those rather too happy-looking uh, bystanders sort of standing around the spot there. Uh, what was interesting about that latter photograph, I thought, was... Was, was the amount of um, well interest, to put it mildly, that the photograph caused on the uh, on the message boards? I don't know if anyone remembers the uh, the heated debates about you know is, is it genuine or not, and how how can you prove this um, that that went on? But it was patently obvious to to me anyway that uh, you know Phil had uh, stumbled upon a real find there. So you know, full credit to him. Absolutely. Right. And it only raises hopes. That, so, so, sorry, I was just going to say it only raises our hopes that, that you know there's more stuff out there. Exactly. And Phil didn't just put that photo up there. He he held on to that for months, and he and Robert Clack uh, examined it and scrutinized it and went back and forth with it before they put it up. Yeah, there was a lot of hoopla about that photo, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, all in all, it was a good piece of research. Um, you know. Uh, right, and, and uh, Tim Reardon held on to the Tumblety photo for months. As well. I mean, uh, a few people had seen it prior to its publication, Ripperologist, but but it was months after um, he actually found the photograph that, that he released it. What are your guys' views on the practice of finds like photographs? Some are of the opinion that if they find a photo of, let's say, Aberline, they immediately post it to the Casebook website and let the chips fall where they may. But others will go the route that, that Tim Reardon went, uh, publishing it once in Ripperall, just not publishing it publicly. And then Philip Hutchison chose to put it up for 24 hours and then remove it in order to use it on a book. I'm interested to know what any one of your approaches be if you happened to find a photograph. Well, um, if, I, if I was fortunate enough to find a photograph, I would probably run it by SP or uh, Mr. Evans or Mr. Begg, uh, Robert Clack, uh, maybe one of the two gentlemen on the show uh, before putting it up on Facebook because... You know, in, in retrospect, Phil took a lot of heat, even though he did do that, even though he he went that route. So I think um, it'd be the lesser of two evils to, to wait a little bit and then put it up after you're, you know, absolutely certain that it's the correct photograph. That's just my opinion. Yeah, that's the right way to go. Although, as, as we've seen, uh, that, 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 you know, that doesn't always um, work in terms of... Uh, quelling the doubters uh, out there. And it's right for people to be sceptical, of course, but I think um, that, that if, if I found something like that, you know, I'd certainly take the trouble to, to circulate it first to a select audience, uh, as you suggest, um, before I step my neck out. I've done that before with things like census findings and things like that, and listings on, on, of, of uh, New York passenger lists and um, German passenger lists and so on. And uh, I've 
you know, I've been proven wrong. And uh, I, I don't mind getting, you know, an omelette face pack now and, now and then. It's part, it's part of the learning. But uh, in hindsight, I wish I'd uh, been more circumspect before I um, went to press, so to speak. And I think, you know, what, 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 what Tim and, and, and Phil and others have done, Adam, um, have done, have been, um, you know, salutary, um, salutary examples of how you should approach this sort of thing. I certainly don't think that, you know, there's any one way of doing it right. Uh, it's entirely up to the individual. I mean, if, if someone makes a serendipitous discovery, then, uh, you know, good luck to them. I mean, they can approach it in whichever way they feel. I think it also depends a great deal on uh, uh, the source of the photograph. For example, if the researcher got it from a relative, then that relative might not give the researcher immediate permission to, uh, to publish it. Uh, whereas in, in Tim's case, where he got it from the uh, New York, I can't remember if it was the Historical Society or the Public Library, it wasn't if he, as if he was sort of hiding the nature of the source. He said, you know, if you're interested in finding the photograph, you know, this is, this is where it's located. So it can, it can depend a lot on the source uh, of, you know, where the researcher found the photograph. It can depend a lot on uh, what, they, what they do with it, what they can do with it. Uh, in, in, in the case of getting it from a relative, a relative can say, well, no, I'd rather you didn't put it in the public domain. Uh, so things like that can have an effect. Right. Now, o- onwards to books. Um, Howard, you have some notable books that have been released in 2008. Um, yeah, I'll mention two, and then you know the other gentlemen can uh, list some books that they found. I know that Mike Povell has uh, purchased a few new books this year too. Uh, the, the one I just recently received was uh, written by Chris Scott. Uh, it's it's published by Michael's Bookstore in uh, Ramsgate, Kent, UK. Uh, it's entitled "The Ripper in Ramsgate," and if it's anything like Chris's uh, message board content, it's got to be a good book. And the book by uh, Dave Yost, he's from Pennsylvania, he's a well-known ripperologist. He wrote the Elizabeth Stride and Jack the Ripper, and I think it's a wonderful book. It, it, it covers the, the entire uh, Burner Street murder, you know, from, from A to Z, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's like a website, more or less. Those are two books that I've read. Uh, the one book that I've read and the one book I'm in the, um, in the process of uh, completing. Um, on the Elizabeth Stride, there's been some discussion on the message boards instigated by Simon Wood that I wanted to get your guys' opinion on, and that's that he um, fails to see the connection between Elizabeth Stride as, what, what was her name? Um, Gustav's daughter, right? Gustav's daughter. Gustav's daughter coming over uh, from Sweden and then registering at the Swedish church as Gustafsson. How good is the genealogy, do we believe, on Elizabeth Stride? There are, if anything, possibly less gaps with uh, Elizabeth Stride's story than, than any of the other victims. Um, and I can understand where Simon's coming from, but, but ultimately, even if, even if Elizabeth Stride were here in the room with me now and, and said that she was Elizabeth Stride, and offered me a DNA sample and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's no way I could know that she was who she claimed to be. So, you know, the fact that we're looking at this 120 years on, or in the, in the case of Elizabeth Stride, 140-something years since she came across from Sweden to London, um, I, I think the available evidence is, is the best we can hope for. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that um, she did register with the um, the church, with, with Sven Olsen, uh, the vicar or whatever they have in Swedish churches, of the Swedish church down there uh, in St. George's. 
uh, and you know he was able to testify at her inquest and to identify her. Uh, whether she was the Elizabeth Gustaf's daughter who was born in uh, Stora Tumulhelt on, uh, in, in Torslanda is, is another matter entirely. But we have to take that on good faith. And ultimately, of course, I don't think it really matters because, yeah, the woman was identified and buried as Elizabeth Stride. And, um, you know, to that extent, uh, it's almost academic. But I, I've got no doubt that uh, she was who she claimed to be, at least when she le- registered with the church. But you'll allow that in Sweden. She was uh, this this individual Gustav Dautier was registered as a prostitute. So some of her mystique does come from her past, and that a lot of ripperologists consider her a more hardened prostitute, right? Yeah, that is true. But you know, I, I doubt that Sven Olsen would have um, would have been taken in by someone posing as a Swede. Yeah, I've known a few turnips in my time, but. Um... But, but not too many people who you know get off with pretending to be a, a Swede uh, to a to a Swedish um, church official. I think there can be little doubt of that. Uh, the the Stotter Gustafsson confusion. I mean, uh, the, the the custom is, I believe, if only Glenn and Fish with us now. I mean, they confirm that the, the the tradition in Sweden is that the, the daughter is you know takes the appellation daughter. After her father and the son takes the um, son suffix, um, the, the fact that this may have got interchanged uh, as she crossed, crossed the North Sea is it, neither here nor there. It, it, it says that I am an offspring of Gustav, um, and Gustav Eriksson was uh, apparently the, the father. Um, that's been established for quite some time now. And does uh, Dave Yost's book go into these kind of details, Howard? Actually, I'd have to I'd have to go back over and double check um, what you guys have been talking about, and specifically Simon Wood's charge. I I uh, I pay, tend to pay less on the uh, genealogical aspect of uh, most books that I read, and I, I pay more attention to the uh, theory and and the scenarios. This year also had Deborah McDonald's book come out, and I mean, there's more. There's more books that that came out in 2008. Mike Covell, do you want to go into some of those of your favorite yeah. books from 2008? One of my faves, definitely this year, was the Jack the Ripper case book by Richard Jones. Um, Richard's covered the Ripper a couple of times now. Um, he's got his own tour company uh, that employs. Uh, Philip Hutchinson um, and I was quite surprised when I got his book I didn't read the description or anything I knew it was coming out um, and when it when it landed and I opened it I was quite surprised at the content not only does it have um, some quite good dissertations covering all aspects of the crimes from the victims to the suspects to the police to the press um, but inside there's actually quite a lot of facsimile documents um, including ripper letters um, letters between officials um, posters, uh, a couple of newspaper articles. It's really well put together. Um, and it, it's almost like having your own little national archives um, in book form. Um, and you can take them out as well, um, so you can frame them. Um, it's a fantastic piece. And I spoke to Richard, and he, he, he remembers writing the book and remembers putting the idea across. Um, but he wasn't even sure when it was coming out. Um, but it, it's been everyone that's read it. Um, have said it's fantastic. Um, so it's a nice addition to the book bookshelf. 
um, The Prince is Shooter and The Ripper by Debbie MacDonald, um, which covers J.K. Stevens. It was a fantastic book. The amount of research that she put into the genealogy um, of the family um, was just amazing. Uh, and it's all in there for you to read. There's family trees. There's some really good stuff she's put in there. Um, and, and that was one of those books. I'd never really looked at J.K. Stephen before, but after reading that, um, you know, she really opened my eyes to, to this guy um, and his family um, and their sort of dealings, um, which to me, you know, the background of the family is just as important as the person themselves. Um, another book... I think it's um, um, so, so just, just on the Delroy MacDonald one, I mean, there's... Uh, it's, it's not what you call a suspect-driven ripper book, is it? I mean, it's... Uh, no. As you say, it's, 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 it's good biographical stuff. Um, and in fairness, it doesn't just, you know, cover uh, J.K. Stephen. I mean, there's, there's bits in there about uh, Druitt and I think Tumble Tea and, and, and various other suspects as well. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's quite a compact book, but it, uh, it, it, it packs quite a punch for its size, um, as indeed to David Yost. So, yeah, I enjoyed it. Sorry, go on, mate. Yeah, I think with that one as well, um, Living in Hull, a lot of people were uh, their attention was gained by it because of the connection to the Wilberforce family um, Sarah Wilberforce was the sister I believe of William Wilberforce um, and this was J.K. Stevens grandma or something like that I know there was a family link there um, and quite a lot of people at the Wilberforce Institute of Slavery and Emancipation were quite surprised um, and they, they looked into this um, so you know they were quite interested in the book as well um, another fantastic book, um, and whether you, you love Maybrick or not, um, was Chris Jones, Maybrick A to Z, uh, which was absolutely fantastic. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of Maybrick as the Ripper, um, but I do have the quite a lot of the diary books. Um, uh, and when when this book came out, and uh, you know, I said to Chris, I'm going to get this book and have a read through, and it was absolutely fantastic. What set it apart from other A to Z is that the front of the book has several dissertations covering, you know, Maybrick as the Ripper. Um, it also covers the trial of Florence Maybrick and the lead up to the, the alleged poisoning. Um, there's so much in the book um, and it's, it's well referenced. And a good thing about the dissertations, it doesn't actually say whether or not he thinks Jack was, um, James was Jack. He, he sort of leaves it open and provides both sides of the arguments, which was really really good um, but you know, the A to Z itself it's quite a big book I was expecting it to be quite small um, but that was quite a nice read that one um, and of course the, the Fox and the Flies um, by Charles Van Onselen um, well researched so many footnotes and um, you know it was so well referenced um, a really fantastic book and Again, two minds whether or not Joseph Liz or Joseph Silver um, was actually Jack the Ripper. Um, but the research that was put into that book was absolutely outstanding and, and you know, raises the bar again uh, for any future suspect-based books. Um, but again, that was another one that caused a lot of um, interest uh, because of the links to white slavery and the fact that Joseph Liz... Um, is alleged to have visited Hull at some point and stayed here for quite some time. Um, and again, the, the the academics at the Wilberforce Institute of Slavery and Emancipation have been looking at Joseph Liz 
Um, and I've been told they've got quite a lot of documents down there on him, so that'd be interesting to have a look through in the new year. So you read The Fox and the Flies, Mike? I did, yeah. <laughs> I, I have as well. And Howard has uh, Gareth and Ben. Uh, although I believe this book came out in 2007. So isn't that right? Or It, it did towards the end of 2007, I think. Yeah. Right. So it's uh, a little uh, out of our uh, range. But um, did you guys, uh, Gareth and Ben, have you both read The Fox and the Flies as well? or? I'm going to have to fess up and say no, not yet, unfortunately. I, uh, I popped into Waterstones recently and had a, a jolly good thumb through, but I will, I, I, I'll certainly uh, go the whole hog and buy it soon, because what I have seen looks uh, very interesting. Uh, particularly, uh, you know, the, the, the possible identification between Joseph Liss and, uh, and Joseph Isaacs, who was a um, sort of suspicious character from uh, Paternoster Row near Dorset Street. Uh, and so... I was very intrigued looking at that angle, and it made me want to kind of uh, inquire further. Yes, I, I, I've read it, Ben. I can uh, I can recommend it uh, again. Not um, like Debbie's book. Not not as a as a, 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 a suspected. I, I, I read the book as such, although unfortunately there, there are parts of it that, that, that do stray into that territory. But certainly as a fascinating biography of a very plausible 19th century rogue. Um, it's it's very well written, as Mike says. It's very you know deeply researched and footnoted, uh, and it's a good read. Excellent. Yeah, as I said, what I ha- what I have seen of it seems uh, seems very interesting. Now, but the connection to the East End in London for Joseph Liss is, in my opinion, lacking in the book. Would everyone who's read it agree with that? Because, as Mike was saying, he does have Joseph Liss landing in Hull. But other than that, um, oh, oh, and then the, the questionable uh, birth of a daughter, I guess, in the East End. So, I mean, I mean for, for, so John, from, for, you know, I can agree with you there. I mean, for my money, the certainly at the time of the murders, um, I, I wasn't too. Uh, Convinced that uh, any any tangible link had been established between Joseph Lees and uh, and Whitechapel or Spitalfields, so it's, it's just not there. And, and, uh, um, now, in eighteen ninety four, I believe it was, he has um, Joseph Silver going back to Whitechapel. Correct. Yeah, yeah. Eighteen eighteen ninety seven, I think, wasn't it? Was, was it was that? But yeah, but you know, at the time, at, at the time of the Whitechapel murders, I don't think there's any tangible evidence that I can recall being adduced to his being in, in, in the East End. So that's, that's unfortunate because, you know, otherwise, as I say, he's, he's, a, he's an interesting character, you know, a bit of a, a, bit of a bastard, frankly. Um, whether, whether that, you know, makes him a, a likely candidate for, for, for Jack the Ripper is debatable because there were, there were plenty of other rogues around at the time, many of whom we know about, many of whom have been advanced as as Ripper suspects, um, but frankly, not many of them uh, convinced me. And an, another thing that's interesting about the Joseph Silver book is that he reproduces a photograph of supposedly Joseph Silver in his early 20s, dressed uh, as a toff, astrakhan man-ish 
manner. The author treats George Hutchison's story as legit and puts uh, Joseph Liss in the shoes of Astrakhan Man. Who in turn is, is, is supposed to be this Joseph, Joseph Isaacs character, if I remember correctly. And the third Joe, uh, you know, uh, according to the author, that he speculates that there was a third Joe in, in Mary Kelly's life that was ill-using her. Yeah. Well, I, I'd have to Correct. disagree pretty strongly with all that, but uh, <laughs> that doesn't doesn't stop it being being very interesting. I'm sure it's worth it's worth getting just for the African man photograph. Then when to get absolutely yeah. Oh, it's worth the book is worth getting um, simply for the history. I mean, it's really the book is forty uh, percent Joseph Liss. 60% Victorian-era criminal underworld history, um, and especially in regards to the Atlantic white slave trade and um, criminal uh, underworld of New York City and and in South America and South Africa. So it's a really interesting book. Did you, you liked that book as well, didn't you, Howard? Very well-documented book. Very well excellent book. Another oh. book that, uh, before we forget and get on something else, is uh, Fiona Rule's book, Door Street in London. Dorset Street. Yes. Anybody care to talk about it? I liked it. It provided a, a bit more background information to to the setting. Um, and for anyone with an interest in, in history and you know, especially the criminal history and that location in Victorian history, it was an absolutely fantastic book. Um, and I really enjoyed it and you know, I thought it was well presented, and it, it was a nice, manageable size. It, you know, it went over long. Um, it didn't get boring, um, and it was one of them. It, it took me a couple of days to read through that one. It, it was just one of them that I just could not put down. Um, you know, there the, the seemed to be a recurring cast of characters. It also sort of explored, a, you know, a number of myths uh, about Dorset Street itself, um, or at least um, uh, about uh, Miller's Court. Uh, where uh, Fiona you know, discovers that uh, well, she, she, she publishes to, to my uh, knowledge for the first time the, the eponymous John Miller uh, who actually uh, you know, uh, built, the, built the cottages in the backyard of, of, of the houses behind uh, 26 and 27 Dorset Street um, <clears throat> some fairly ramshackle affairs they, they, they were too um, so you know that, that's, that's where you get your Miller's Court from and of course um, um, it was very rapidly known as, as Miller's Rents um, because he rented the cottages out to, uh, to well, you know, first come, first come, first served um, sort of poor people in the district. Uh, so the notion that McCarthy's Rents, which is a fairly um, recent idea, was somehow related, uh, related to the women rather than the cottages themselves uh, is, is shown to be, uh, you know, a fanciful notion. Hmm. They were known as Miller's Rents long before McCarthy was, was even born. So that was, and, you know, there's uh, another book in the same vein, which I thought actually complemented Fiona Rule's book rather well, uh, was the, the Blackest Streets by Sarah Wise. I think this is you know, this is more to do with um, you know the area around the the Nickel, a little bit north of uh, of, of Dorset Street itself, uh, but nonetheless um, an area of. of, of slums in London which, which hold a certain resonance for, for ripperologists and historians alike. Uh, and if no one's read The Blackest Streets, then uh, I recommend you get that as the ideal companion volume 
uh, to the worst street in London. We should have done this before Christmas, shouldn't we, really? Then people could have bought these. <laughs> what books did you guys read in 2008 that may have not been released in 2008 that you read for the first time, Ripper-related, that, that you think uh, are mentionable? Like, for instance, I read for the first time The Ripper Diary, The Inside Story by Carolyn Morris. And, and I found that book excellent, giving the behind-the-scenes story of the Maybrook Diary. Did anyone else read a book uh, this year that, that they hadn't read before that is mentionable? Yeah, yeah. One, of my fav- one of my favorites was the news from Whitechapel, Jack the Ripper in the Daily Telegraph, um, by Alexander Chisholm, Christopher Michael de Grazia, and Dave Yost. Um, I love contemporary newspaper reports and, you know, that book has it all for me. Um, it has the, the newspaper reports and they're all set out chronologically um, by victim. It's well-researched. There's loads of little notes at the bottom of each page showing the errors, um, mistakes, myths, um, you know, contained within the newspaper accounts. Um, it's well-referenced um, and it's a really good read. And I think within a couple of days of, of receiving that, I read it two or three times. Um, you know, and it, it's, it's quite an inspiring book. It's one of those that makes you want to go out there and do your own research. Um, and a similar book to that was Bob Inton's uh, From Hell. I can read a suspect book, but that one really grasped me. And, and you know, by the end of it, I was kind of uh, thinking, you know, maybe Bob's got it, got it right. Um, that's, a good, that's a good one, Bob. It's, it's, it's the yeah, last, I really uh, enjoyed that book. It's the last Hutchinson book I actually read, the first being Gary Rowe, and it's, it's interesting to see them come at the suspect from a very different angle, uh, whereas Bob Hinton goes for the sort of stalker, um, sort of obsessed with Mary Jane Kelly angle. You've got Gary Rowe just coming, you know, suggesting he's a sort of normal serial killer, just uh, coming across Kelly by happenstance. So it's, it's interesting to see... Uh, the same suspect being attacked in very different styles by different authors. Um, uh, that's interesting. Uh, I, d- I did read a few a few uh, books in this year, uh, but uh, unfortunately, I haven't got very many positive things to say about them. So unfortunately, I won't, I won't reveal them because it's a bit. Uh... No, please go ahead. Uh, really? Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. It, 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 are you going to cut it afterwards? Because <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep stum <laughs> like a wimp. No, we, we went good as bad. Howard has a, we, a plus we guess, plus and minus. We guess. Uh, any of them from France? <laughs> Which one of them from France? But no, Ben. What are some of the bad books you've you read this year? I don't want to say badly written because that that wouldn't be fair. But I uh, I. I was reading a lot of Howard's very interesting posts earlier this year about uh, the suspect Robert Johnston Stevenson because uh, he uh, also sort of insinuated himself in the, into the investigation. And so I thought, well, I may, I've made a sort of similar case with Hutchinson. Uh, let's see if a reasonable sort of similar-ish case can be made with Johnston. And so I uh, started getting a few books on him. But I was a little bit disappointed with the result. Not that uh, it was badly written or anything, but uh, the Ivor Edwards Black Magic Rituals. Um, uh, you know, suffice to say, it didn't didn't do it for me at all, and uh, and so it it made me um, less convinced about his suspect candidacy. Maybe than as opposed to thinking, well, you know, maybe there's something here. Um, 
so 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 that would uh, that would that would spring to mind. Um, a very admirable effort. Well said, and any others? Uh, that that that's the one that springs to mind at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, I stress, you know, that they're not 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 badly written, not sort of uh, not not completely outlandish. But I just uh, I just profoundly disagree with the uh, the conclusions. Um, now, um, go ahead, Howard. No, I was just going to tell Ben that if you, if anybody really wants to learn about Stevenson, all they have to do is look at Casebook or JTR forums because it's almost entirely composed comprised of facts. Um, I think that it's up to I have I have it up to seventy five um, individual theories or. Um, Articles of faith about Stevenson that have been demolished by Mike and myself, and some others too, of course, uh, regarding Stevenson. So, if you wanted to find out, any, if anybody really wanted to find out anything about Stevenson, they wouldn't really have to buy any books other than to fill the library out. Uh, probably the best one to buy on Stevenson would be The True Face of Jack the River by uh, the late Mr. Harris. Uh, it's, it's written with, you know, some degree of style, but um, it's. There's a lot of sources that are absent, or uh, it's completely devoid of sources in, in some areas. I see. So you think that would be the better Stevenson? Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, I, I would. And then after that, I would I would recommend the Ripper file because that's that was the one written in 1989, right after the Centennial Program. Um, okay. the, secret, the secret identity of Jack Ripper. That that's good. But uh, Harris came to two different conclusions um, without diverting into a Stevenson program here. But anyway, carry on. I think it's because I, I, I was getting too many Ripper books uh, whose conclusions I was likely to agree with. I wasn't sort of, um, you know, being experimentation. <laughs> I wasn't experimenting. You know, I think I, wanted to, I had to, to sort of, uh, you know, confront the, uh, the, less, the less likely theories to see if there's any mileage in them at all. And uh, because I think until then I was just sort of uh, concentrating on theories that were likely to make me say, yes, that, yeah, just what I was thinking. And uh, I, think, I think it's dangerous to adopt that mindset. So I wanted to kind of expose myself to as many conflicting uh, theories as possible. In addition, of course, to getting books that aren't theory-based whatsoever. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, several of those have been mentioned. Um, I always love pop- popping into Murder One on uh, uh, Canary... Uh, no, what's it called? Uh, Charing Cross Road. Charing Cross Road, yeah. Uh, yeah, abs- it's absolutely fantastic. I, I couldn't, you know, speak more highly of it as, as a, uh, you know, repository for all these uh, wonderful Ripper books. And uh, but I, I, <laughs> I always had to catch a train, so it's always straight in and out. But uh, but I can I can thoroughly re- recommend it. Um, I mean, most all all the uh, the books mentioned would certainly be there. Uh, I made the mistake of, of I, was, I was up in London on business uh, uh, last spring, uh, and I, I made the mistake of uh, dropping into murder when after a few uh, few early evening bevies, uh, that's that's beers in in, in American speak, uh, and I came up with some Michael Gold books. So you know, don't go in there when you're drunk. Is my advice. <laughs> you, you came away with our Michael Gordon books. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, very good they are too. But you know, I mean, Ben knows me all. You won't catch me by Nikolsovsky, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, now has his new book been released? <laughs> it, is, is that? Uh, I think it has. Yeah, I think it has. Has anyone read our Michael Gordon's newest book? Uh, What's it called? Uh, Abraham Lincoln, the uh, the Polish connection. <laughs> <laughs> 
I reread this year the American Murders of Jack the Ripper, and um, uh, Gareth, what what do you uh, what do you think of R. Michael Gordon's uh, theory um, on on the Whitechapel murders? I mean, as others, yeah. I mean, in, in, in absolute fairness, uh, you know, he's he's got a, uh, one of the stronger cases that uh, that exists. Uh, I've got to say that. Um, the the one quibble I have these are very well written, written books as indeed are the late you know uh, Melvin Harris's that, uh, that Howard just mentioned on on Donston you know, very very well written um, but ultimately they, they they don't convince but they, you know that's that's no criticism of, of of the author and certainly no criticism of the style if I do have a criticism uh, and it, it's not peculiar to to uh, before mentioned gentlemen's books uh, but it's that you know the zealous sort of Almost um, uh, sub- subliminal way that that, that uh, you know the, the chosen suspect insinuates itself into or himself into every paragraph. It seems um, you know this this is uh, this is to be seen in many many other suspect based ripper books where you, you can hardly turn a page without some sort of subliminal hint that you know you really must believe that this guy did it. Right. That's, right. That, that's always unfortunate, but uh, in general, I, I, you know, I, I, I think that uh, Kwasowski is, is certainly a plausible villain, uh, more plausible than perhaps Joseph Liss, whom we mentioned earlier. And um, you know, if, 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 we, if we must pick uh, Polish suspects from roughly the same uh, catchment area in their homeland, um, yeah. So I, I, I don't diss these books in any way. I mean, by all means, uh, buy them. You won't be disappointed. He uh, ties George Chapman into the Thames torso killings as well. Yes, that's why. That's, hence my oblique reference to the Abraham Lincoln assassination earlier. I mean, it's only a matter of time, you know. Pasowski <laughs> killed killed people everywhere. All he killed everyone. Yeah. <laughs> right. Think, well, it wasn't one of the Maybrick books a bit like that, you know. Um, didn't one Maybrick author decide that he killed people in America as well? In Austin, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Oh, Harrison's yeah. second the follow-up to the first one, yeah. As if yeah. the first uh, the first year he wasn't bad enough. She, yeah. He had her... She, he was back in Austin, Texas in 1885 killing people. Oh, uh, with an axe. Yeah. Do you guys notice the trend in, in suspect-related books that they're less emphatic as they used to be? Like you, you take, um, say, uh, Mr. Harris's book on Donston, just as an example. Or, um, I don't know, uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of somebody else who's a little, little gregarious. Uh, well, in any event, you look at uh, suspect-related books now, they're, they're, less, they're, they're less emphatic and, and they le- use less insinuation, like I believe Sammy was just talking about, in, in the way they present the suspect. They're like this guy could be Jack the Ripper, you know. Uh, think about it, you know. They're they're, uh, they're they're almost objective about it, you know. It's they're supposed more, to be more sensitive. Yeah, That's I think that they, they realize there's more critics nowadays. Sort of this kind of. You know, I acknowledge the case is far from proven, but what about this guy? There's more of that yeah. these days, yeah. as opposed to this is it, you know. All accept it now, you know. There's, right. there's less of that, and I think. Uh, I think maybe in the sort of 70s and 80s, there was, there was more of that, perhaps more of that dogma of the sort of... Uh, right, exactly. That was the word I was looking for. Thank you, Ben. That's right. 
I agree with your point there, yeah, definitely. Um, to bring up a couple positive things uh, that happened in 2008, maybe Mike or somebody else, or one of the other guys like to chip in here, chime in. Uh, at the end of the year, we find that the uh, 1911 UK census is open. Uh, there had been done, some work done during the year on the Old Bailey transcripts. They've been opened up to researchers. Uh, recently, the Broadmoor archives have been opened up. There seems to be less solving of the case on uh, message boards. Um, people are focusing more on aspects now. There's been more interest, and I think it's been very positive, into Joe Fleming and also into Sir Robert Anderson. Um, I, I think we see less of the, the, old, uh, the old suspects from back in the 80s being discussed. I totally agree with that. I, I, I think... Uh Trends in, in popularity in, 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 terms of, uh, in, in terms of suspects, that's, uh, that's all changed a bit, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you don't see too many um, Klosowski threads, for example. I mean, we were just talking right. about uh, our M Michael Gordon. And, uh, you know, you look at the Klosowski forum and you think because he's a, he was a serial killer active in, in the district that, he, that he'd get uh, a little bit more uh, thread time. But, uh, but it seems not. I mean, per you know, personally, I think that's a good thing because I don't find... Kosovsky very plausible, but it, you do see, you know, shifting trends, you know, certain characters, not necessarily suspects, just being talked about more, and uh, whether that's to do with um, interesting finds coming up or just certain people talking about them a lot, <laughs> guilty as charged, but, uh, you know, um, shifting trends is certainly something I would have, I, I, I noticed, so I'd endorse your observation there, Howard, definitely. Yeah, thank you. Also, um... Sorry, I was just going to say, it seems because we've had books like, you know, The, the, the Fiona Rule and Sarah Wise, um, which, which is more to do with, the, you know, the life and times of the buildings rather than the people. I mean, um, uh, we've also had the, the Jack the Ripper exhibition uh, done in, uh, in the Docklands down there in London. So, you know, a lot of the, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a lot of the focus this year has, has, has been on history and uh, surroundings rather than uh, people and personalities, which, which is great, you know. And I, 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 think, that's important. Mm. I think people are, are realising that there's, there's a hell of a lot more to this case than just, you know, pin the tail on the ripper. Um, right. Uh, and that, you know, the stuff around the peripheries is, is, is arguably more rewarding and, and certainly more achievable. Different, different people focusing on different aspects. For example, some people are very fascinated by the, by the census, the, the, the geneo genealogical side of, side of things. And then you get the uh, the people who are more interested in the sort of criminology side of things. So it's uh, you know people sort of finding their niche and sort of uh, and, and and going at it. I mean that's uh, that that's interesting. But I think well, as you yeah. said, you, you know, there's more. The things as well. You know, we're finding out things about how. <laughs> no disrespect, Mike, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I've, never, I've never I've never dreamt of reading about how previously. But uh, I, I don't wish to sort of embarrass you or anything. But you know the articles that you've written in in, in Rip uh, about the. The, the back room to Donston whilst he was up there have been absolutely fascinating. Thank so it's, you, it's, thank it's amazing how these you know, these little sort of avenues. Uh, it was a bit like Whitechapel, I suppose. Well, these little avenues sort of appear, uh, you know, off off the side streets that take you into places you'd never thought of going to, and possibly won't ever come back from. <laughs>
And the case itself is kind of moving online, isn't it, this year? It seems like in more more so, I mean, I guess you could say it for 2007 as well, but, but it seems to be that the Internet is driving the Whitechapel murder interest. True. With uh, the investigation of census research back to Tim Reardon's discovering the Tumblety photograph via the web, people who write books will promote them on the Casebook forums to make people aware of them. Chris Scott released his book pretty much on Casebook.org's website, his new one, Ram, uh, The Ripper and Ramsgate. It seems that this case is now more internet-driven than ever before. Wouldn't you guys agree? Uh, I would agree. I would definitely agree. Because I believe yes. one of the, the the first place the first place that people go after they write a book is on the internet. They either go to Casebook or, you know, on a rare occasion they come on the forums and and mention that they have a new book coming out. Um, it's as if the, you know if they make it in the mainstream with the civilian population, that's fine. But they want to make an impression on the people on the message boards because that's where the action's at. That's that's the way I see it. Maybe maybe I'm um, a minority of one. No, I agree with you, Howard. I do want to touch on Ripper uh, documentaries that came out. We had one that that I recall that, right. that was the uh, the world of Jack the Ripper. I wasn't able to see this one. Did anyone else see this? Mm-hmm. I saw it. Uh, at, uh, this is the one that no, used no. CGI recreations or something? Yeah. Uh, what I'd like to just mention, maybe the other guys would like to talk about it. Um, I, what I like is that they focused on some facts about the area, and they really focused, even even in the documentary, they focused less less on a specific suspect than they did the whole of the, uh, the area, the atmosphere, uh, the living conditions, the working conditions, uh, the crime and poverty, uh, the class inequities, things like that. And um, Phil went over a few of the, uh, he went over the Burner Street scenario, uh, Rumbelow, Donald Rumbelow went over the uh, Hanbury Street um, scenario, and it, it was a, it was a pretty good um, introduction to the case. Uh, if you if you're a newbie to ripperology, in my opinion, no, it, was a, it was a very good documentary. I enjoyed it. Um, you know the the CGI was fantastic. I love stuff like that. Um, but, you know it was a real good job. It was well well put together, um, and it. It, it was nice. It was one of them sort of things that you know it's going to get other people interested and bring more people to the case, and you know more people with more expertise and and people who are closer to certain archive archival areas are going to watch it and be inspired. And hopefully, some you know inspire people to go out there and do their own research. Um, it was good. It's not yet officially been shown in the UK, um, so hopefully we'll get a release date at some point um, over here. Um, but it was well made and, and well put together, and it, it was a good documentary. It's also nice to see so many of the old documentaries being uh, put on YouTube now. I've noticed quite a few. You know, the uh, the diary one I've never seen before. I just, uh, I, you know, I, I typed that into YouTube and that came up, and uh, the National Geographic one. Uh, and uh, quite a few of the old Jack the Ripper documentaries are now being you know, made available on YouTube, and so that's... Uh, that's progress, I think. That's that's you know the people who people who you know missed the DVDs when they came out at the time or videos or whatever. There's a lot of new stuff appearing on there as well, um, from you know people putting together their own material. Um, computers are 
so easy to use now to make your own little films and productions and I've seen quite a few on there that have been made by students and even school children um, that have put them together um, and I'll often go on there and comment and made quite a lot of friends on there for people that have made their own little productions and stuff like that Um, and there's also a couple of foreign ones on there Um, there was one made in Russia uh, recently when the Broadmoor Files opened and it's quite short and it was from a news program but it basically looks at Broadmoor archives and it's English spoken Um, but it's uh, to see how the Russians put together a, a news clip is so different from the way we do it in the UK and it, it goes into depth it, it mentions the, the Ripper crimes and it mentions Cutbush but it also goes into stuff like what kind of people went into Broadmoor um, and it shows the facility um, and it interviews the locals as well um, who grew up around the facility um, and it's a really interesting piece and I posted a lot of the links on the, the Casebook website um, to, the, to the YouTube stuff um, and usually once a week I'll have a trawl through there and, and see all the, the new Jack the Ripper stuff. There's also quite a lot of, um, and a, a lot of this is thanks to, to Philip Hutchinson, there's a lot of stuff being shot in and around Whitechapel, um, uh, you know, of, of the building works going on. Um, Philip posted one recently and it was just a walk down George Yard um, and it was fantastic. Um, and I was there in January and I never actually walked the full, full length of George Yard. Um, but Philip goes down there with the camera and as he's walking down he explains what buildings are on the left, what buildings are on the right what kind of period to date from and then he shows you on film whereabouts you know, Martha Tabham would have been murdered, whereabouts George Yard buildings were um, and it's a really interesting piece and he's, he's put quite a lot of stuff on there like that um, George you know, Yard, very something. atmospheric yeah, hopefully we'll see more of stuff like that um, it's just great to sit at your computer and watch it rather than actually walk down there and you know, the, the the day that I did it, the sun was setting and there was a group of uh, a gang of kids and I didn't want to risk going down there on my own. So I just stood at the top and took some photos and left it at that. So it was nice to see further down and, and you know, especially with Philip as well narrating as he walks along. Um, but he's also done all the, the Ripper victims' grave graveyard... Um, you know, he sat by the grave and, and said where where they were buried and gives you a little bit of background information. And it's great for new people coming into the case. Um, and another thing that's appearing on YouTube that's quite interesting is a lot of people filming the tours now. Um, so there's a lot of different tour guards on there. Um, and some people have filmed the full tour. So you, you can sit there at your computer and you can watch your, your rip, a virtual ripper tour um, and listen to the, the many different people um, discussing the crimes and... You know, it's it's quite interesting, and you know, you can do it all from your own your own house. Yeah, yeah. There are two or three of those tours. Aren't there? Yeah, we do want to encourage people to actually, you know, go on these tours. <laughs> That's my ambition. <laughs> you know, Phil can be a business. So yeah, and the, you know, the good thing about having someone like Phil there, um, uh, Phil Hutchinson, that is, um, is that he really knows the the area. I mean, uh, he, he and Rob Platt wrote, wrote that excellent book. Again, this is it's, it's outside the scope of the whole, whole review. <laughs> it came out towards the end of uh, 2007, um, which is you know uh, Whitechapel then and now or whatever. Sorry, Phil forgot the title. But yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's great. They've done, they've done a hell of a lot of research into uh, 
into the history of the area. So if you've got someone like Phil there, whether it's on YouTube or whether he, he's there actually do, you know, doing the tour with you, um, you know, these guys really know their stuff. Well, many of them do anyway, and, and Phil certainly does, and he, he makes the whole thing come alive. It's not everyone uh, who can point at, you know, a 1960s brick building, um, which in itself is a third-generation building on top of the building that may have been there in in 1888 and, and make it seem as if... Uh, you're back there at that time and, and you know these guys have got the knack of doing that and it's only through diligent research that they're able to, to do that and it's good that they've found different avenues now to uh, to spread the love so to speak all credit to them right what does everyone want to see happen in 2009 what what are your big hopes for the coming year I'll go first because I'm the prettiest. I'll say right now, I would, I'd like to see more discussion on the articles in Riverologist Magazine, Whitechapel Society Journal, and Ripper Notes. Let's see more coordinated efforts and uh, research in, in the UK by p- people that live in London or in, the, in Great Britain. Uh, there's still things at the pro. There's uh, material at the city police uh, archives. Uh, now we have Broadmoor's opened up. You don't necessarily have to register and stay, but it would be nice for somebody to go there and check the archives out. And um, also, um, I'm sure the Metropolitan Police Archives would, might have something of interest. There's still stuff out there. That's what I would like to say. I mean, from, from my perspective, Howard uh, and, uh, and everyone, I'd really like 2019, the next edition of the A to Z. We've been waiting on a publisher for that now, and... Uh, I think my, my copy's going a bit, you know, battle creased, dare I say it. <laughs> so I could, I could do it with, uh, with that new edition uh, next year. And, and, and maybe a really good... Um, hello. Yes, yeah, really good uh, son, sorry. biography of, 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 of someone like Klosowski. Uh, because there's a lot of material on him. Um, it's just that everything seems to have been, you know, sort of suspect focused up until now and uh, I think if we can have a really good biography of someone like Joseph Silver or Joseph Lees which we have had um, thanks to the Fox and the Flies I think you know an, an equivalent job could be done on uh, on someone like Krasovsky and, and and his ilk so yeah that would be my, my wish list for next year I'm looking forward to meeting the Dauber family um, in 2009 um, they're the living descendants of Robert Donson Stevenson's mother um, from her side of the family so that'll be interesting to see we've already had a discussion on the phone and, and they've told me little bits of what they can remember from the past um, but they've been getting the family together um, so in the new year we're going to get together and hopefully find out a little bit more about the family and and you know what happened in the past and, and stuff like that um, so that for me is a, a, you know, something that I'm really looking forward to, to seeing. All right. Did we miss anything that you guys want to add in here? A study in red. Study in red by Brian Porter, uh, a fiction book Which is, that came out earlier in the year. Which uh, just got for, picked up for a movie deal. Yes, it yeah. did. The, the thing with that is we've seen, with the, a study in red, we've seen it go from strength to strength. When it was first released, we saw it as an e-book. Um, and then Brian L. Porter told everyone that it was going to be picked up by some of the national chains in the UK and released as a, a, a hardback book. 
Um, again, the popularity soared, and they announced that there was a an audio book in the pipeline. Um, and then just recently, he's come forward and said that a, a studio in 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 the USA has picked up on it, and they're interested in making a movie. Um, and they've released an official statement um, to say that they're releasing a movie, and you know they're working on producing at the moment. So that you know, it, it's a fantastic book, and it's just gone from strength to strength and. Brian's such a lovely down-to-earth guy, and it really is a, a great to see it doing so well. So, uh, uh, oh, Howard, you you had minuses on the year of 2008. Uh, there were a few coordinated efforts to research other than the ones that um, Robert House and Chris Phillips did and um, Robert Linford and A.P. Wolf are doing with Cutbush. But it would be nice if, if there was, like, if there were more coordinated efforts to do research uh, looking for th- uh, looking for uh, data in museums or uh, repositories, libraries, whatever in the UK, it'd be nice. You know, they could open that up. I think the the 1911 census. Ben and Gareth might be able to correct me on this. That you have to actually pay for them now, thirty cents a hit. You do, yeah. That one, I think, yeah. Wow, that's a that's a hit, an expensive mess, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, the existing sort of ancestry.co.uk, uh, they, they've changed their indexing as well. It's um, You can still sort of fall back to the old uh, style search index, but um, uh, it, it's, it's changing all the time. Uh, so it's, it's more difficult now to, to be accurate in, in census research. I mean, if, if Chris Scott were here, he'd probably tell me, you know, what the shortcuts were. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's not so good at the moment. I mean, it's great to have the information there, but it's, it's too bad you've got to pay, uh, especially so much. Not that many negatives, for sure. Right. I think it's been a good year altogether. Yeah. Well, we'll wrap it up then. Thanks, guys, for coming on. And that was RipperCast, Episode 37, 2008, Year in Review. I want to thank everybody for being on the show today. That was Howard Brown, proprietor of JTRForums.com. Gareth Williams, Ben Home, and Mike Covell. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders, available at the website www.casebook.org slash podcast. Any questions you'd like to post to myself or my guests can be emailed to rippernet at mac.com. And I want to thank everybody for listening to the show, and we'll see you next week.